1: Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. joined here today by Blake Alderman, your staff writers for Swamp247.com. Blake, it's been a busy week uh, since we last podcasted. The SEC has come out with its uh, proposed schedule for 2020, a 10-game conference-only schedule. Um, we had actually delayed in recording the podcast the last couple days uh, because we thought the schedule might come out a little bit sooner, sooner in terms of you know who the additional two games are going to come from. So. For those who don't know, um, basically the SEC is going to keep the originally scheduled eight games uh, that were already on the schedule for 2020 in the conference, and then they're going to add two more games to that to get to a 10 game schedule. Uh, the league will begin on September 26th. Uh, that'll be the first game, so they're pushing things back a little bit. Start of fall camps pushed back as well. Um, but Blake, this this model hopefully will allow us to uh, have a season, and I think you know I think I speak for everybody when I say that you know the prospect of 10 SEC games. Uh, certainly pretty intriguing.
2: Sure. As a college football fan, you're excited. Uh, at this point you're kind of waiting for the unknown Um, just to see who those two games are. I know there's some speculation, but you know, you know, you always kind of want to wait until the dust settles and you see the official rulings and whatnot there, but you know, I'm all for it, you know, having a 10 game SEC schedule. um, I I think for me, it's just, you know, from, from the sports fan in me, it's something different. It's something new. It's something that you can kind of see how it works out. I think Florida has a, you know, a really, really good team, you know, just kind of looking from top to bottom, what they bring back and what they have this season. So I'm interested to see, how this team matches up, you know, against what you you would kind of call a gauntlet. You know, that 10-game SEC straight, that's a gauntlet. That's tough for players, uh, you know, kind of going through week to week. You know, you don't have – you know, no offense to some of these teams, but you don't have some of these kind of drop-offs, you know, bye weeks here and there where you kind of plan things out, you know, the whole year. Once Florida kind of had an idea what their schedule was beforehand, you know, you kind of make plans and you kind of plan your season and what you're going to do around that. Now that there's a different, you know, things are going in a different direction, um, you have to see how the, you know, the staff will respond and what they kind of do to get these guys ready to go. But, you know, top to bottom, man, just in general, I hope it sticks. You know, I'm excited to see this play and I'm hoping for some college football this season.
1: Well, it's going to be really interesting, you know, which which teams Florida picks up, because you looked at the schedule, you know, going into 2020, and we talked all offseason about how, you know, this year kind of set up really nicely for Florida in terms of the schedule. You know, you play Ole Miss from the west as your rotating opponent. Meanwhile, Georgia, you know, gets to take on Alabama, and then they also play Auburn before the, the game in Jacksonville this year. All of a sudden, depending on which two teams you add, that may not necessarily be a huge advantage anymore. You know, you're losing those – uh, kind of easier non-conference games against, you know, Eastern Washington, New Mexico State, uh, South Alabama, those games that maybe, you know, kind of would have given Florida the runway going into the season to really, um, you know, start to, you know, put together what the 2020 team is going to look like. And uh, now you, you jump straight into conference play. That, that first off is a little bit um, of a tougher challenge. And then secondly, you know, depending on who these teams are, you may lose that advantage against Georgia because Georgia already has the toughest, you know, arguably the toughest team from the SEC West in Alabama and uh, you know, and now Florida, you know, potentially could add a tough team uh, to its schedule. So Blake, uh, I know there was some speculation and again, it is just speculation for now uh, when the, when the SEC initially announced the decision to go to the 10 games, that one way they might potentially, you know, build out the schedule was by adding the next two, Rotating opponents from the cross division. And so for Florida, that would have been Alabama and, um, help me on the second team here.
2: Texas A&M
1: I yes. So, um, you know, that obviously would have been a murderer's row for Florida. And meanwhile, Georgia would have picked up Mississippi State and Arkansas. Uh, so that would have completely flipped things on its head. And again, that was just speculation. Uh, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, very, very plugged in reporter, um, admitted that he was just kind of spitballing there with that. Um, you know, uh, we don't know exactly how the SEC is going to structure those, you know, those two opponents. Um, But ideally, if you're Florida, you'd like to pick up one of the weaker ones, uh, you know, try to continue with that. And chances are, you're going to get, you know, one tougher opponent. I mean, you already have LSU and Ole Miss, you know, that leaves, you know, Mississippi state, Arkansas, Auburn, um, Alabama, and potentially Texas A&M out there. So uh, the the chances that you're going to pick up one additional tough game are, are pretty high, I would say. And again, For now, we have no idea how the SEC is going to schedule it in terms of uh, moving games around because, you know, Florida was scheduled to play Kentucky on September 12th, I believe. And uh, now, you know, games aren't starting until the 26th. So they're definitely going to have to bump things around. Uh, It'll be interesting to see which games get bumped. I would assume that, you know, Blake, that Florida Georgia would probably stay in Jacksonville just because of the way the the contracts are set up with the city and all that. But, uh, you know, an interesting time as we wait on on this decision, obviously. Like I said, uh, you know, we expect it to come down uh, you know, at least which teams everybody's going to be facing from the SEC soon here, because, you know, these coaches have to now prepare for two additional teams that they probably haven't done any scout work on, uh, you know, in the off season, you know, usually these coaches spend a lot of time in the off season combing through each of their opponents going over tape from the previous years. And, um, you know, they do that for every opponent to varying degrees, depending on where they are on the schedule, but now you have two additional opponents that you're going to have to start game planning for. So a lot for these coaches to work through Blake.
2: No doubt. it. You know, and just things are so uncertain, but you know, we we've talked about how the season kind of set up for Florida schedule wise, um, you know, I, obviously adding a team like Alabama, a team like Texas A&M, it, it certainly makes things a little tougher for Florida, um, you know, even throw in, you know, which one of those would be home and which one of those would be away or, you know, however those things go. So, you know, the unknowns are there, you know, obviously that that's a tough draw for Florida when you kind of look at some of the other teams that some of the other, you know, teams around the conference would add, um, you know, and I guess it's just one of those things where it's just the luck of the draw. But, you know, the, again, you know, the sports fan inside of you wants to see Florida kind of, you know, have this team that, you know, you think is going to be really respectable is getting a lot of talk of, you know, being that final four team, you know, just making a run this year. It's interesting to see, you know, how they would match up against, you know, a team like Texas A&M that has a lot of seniors and they, you know, this was kind of their year, so to say, to make some noise in the West than a team like Alabama. Um, So it's interesting to see how that would go. Certainly, I think when you look at, you know, a favorable schedule, you know, I think that that's probably you know, there's the other side of the coin where you think like, man, that, that's going to make things a little bit tougher for this, you know, final four prediction that Florida's getting. But, you know, I, I am intrigued, I am intrigued to see them go against Alabama. You know, I, I think that just the team that Florida put together last year and you look at what Dan Mullen's got, I think that's one where you can kind of truly see, you know, I, I think everyone wants to see that chess match of Dan Mullins offense against Nick Saban's defense. So I, I think there's some interest there, but it definitely does make it a tougher draw for Florida. If those are the two teams added.
1: Well, and you know, one of the, the quote-unquote, tougher teams. I I say that because Florida's had the upper hand in the series that was initially on the schedule was Florida State. And, Blake, I think everybody's disappointed to see that one disappear, which is why it was interesting today. Um, You know, Governor Ron DeSantis was having a press conference, and one of the things that came up was uh, just how abnormal this year is, you know, that you're going to have college football uh, play a season where Florida and Florida State don't play, which would be the first time that's happened in 62 years. Uh, DeSantis actually made some interesting comments that, uh, you know, he might – try to be working on some things that maybe they could get that game played. Uh, you know, obviously it wouldn't be the first uh, time in the history of the Florida, Florida state rivalry that the government has you know been involved. That's kind of how the series got started back in the fifties. Uh, you know, was was some legislation that uh, was proposed and ultimately wasn't passed, but kind of put the pressure on Florida, you know, to agree with, to, to play a rivalry game with Florida state. Um, Blake, we were just kind of, you know, kicking this around. If, if for some reason, um, you know, governor DeSantis is able to, Um, you know get these teams on the same page get the conferences on the same page and play I was just kind of looking at the schedules I I think there's only really one date that could potentially work Um, you know with Florida starting the season on September 26th and the SEC title game being played on December 19th um, that really only leaves uh, 11 weeks basically to play 10 games and uh, you know Scott Strickland Florida's athletics director has been pretty open that they're not going to play 11 games in 11 straight weeks they don't want to do that and that's part of the reason why know, not playing any non-conference games was part of the discussion the SEC had. Blake, uh, it could be interesting. I I wonder if maybe they could work some kind of week zero deal, uh, you know, like Florida Miami last year where Florida starts the season a week earlier relative to, you know, the rest of college football or or the rest of, you know, in this case, the SEC. Looking at FSU's schedule, uh, Sanford is scheduled for September 19th. Uh, I think it'd be pretty cool if, you know, if they made it work somehow to uh, maybe open the season with a little Florida-Florida State game.
2: Yeah, that would be really, that would, that would be awesome if that happened, just because you have this new coach at FSU. And I think a lot of Florida fans, you know, are kind of riding that high of the last two years, you know, getting those wins. Um, and then there's a new coach there that, you know, you want to see how just, I guess, how different Florida State is, you know, just as a rival. You know, I think a lot of people kind of keep up with them just to see, you know, okay, well, you know, Florida's going to play these guys, you know, what kind of team do they have? And I think, again, from a sports fan, you have, you know, Florida open against Miami as a week zero last year. I think there's nothing, you know, to shake a stick at if they open up against Florida State as a week zero. But I agree with you. If if they're going to make it work, and it makes sense just with the gauntlet, the SEC is, if you're doing those games straight, you know, boom, boom, boom. I think fitting it into, you know, that 19th, the September 19th right there uh, makes the most sense, A, because that's what works for Florida State, just with, with the fact that that's their non-conference game against Sanford. And, you know, you can't really swap around, you know, ACC games. and uh, there's, there's just a lot of hoops still to jump jump through in general. Just with the fact, anyways, that you know, there's a lot of contractual talk that I'm sure is more likely what the holdup is from the SEC side, just because they've agreed, okay, we're going to play ten games all conference. You know, this is what we're going to do. I don't know how Ron DeSantis would make that happen. I, I guess he could pull some strings, and you know, it's something to follow. But I think it's going to be tough for that to happen.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it seems more like a kind of hopeful, wishful thinking at this point than than maybe. Um you know, something that's definitely going to happen. And I think one of the issues for, uh, at least for Florida, and I don't know how some of the other teams in the league have their non-conference contracts uh, worded, but for Florida, the SEC mandating that they play only conference games actually um, is specifically worded in the force majeure clause that Florida has with these non-conference teams that basically, you know, would invoke the act of God kind of situation where they wouldn't necessarily have to pay you know, are game guarantees. And for Florida, there's about three and a half million uh, guaranteed to the Eastern Washington, New Mexico state and South Alabama's where, you know, if all of a sudden you do play a non-conference game against FSU well, all of a sudden, you know, those programs have the, I would say probably have a better, and I'm, again, I'm certainly not a lawyer, not a legal expert, but I would think they would have more legal ground to say, Hey, uh, if you're playing FSU, like you can't use this clause that the SEC says you can't play non-conference games, like, because you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that uh, the way the SEC is set up uh, gives Florida that kind of natural out to get out of those game, you know, guarantees. And, you know, maybe those programs fight it legally. I'm not sure. But I do think you get into some gray area there legally, uh, you know, if you start to play that FSU game. But regardless, you know, some interesting comments made today by the governor that, uh, you know, with not a whole lot else going on, I thought were worth touching on on the show. Um, Blake, some other big news out of, you know, the ACC. No, we're talking Florida FSU, ACC. Uh, I saw today Miami's best player or arguably their best player Gregory Russo is opting out for the season Uh, and the way that it unfolded was pretty bizarre very 2020 Uh, you know Manny Diaz hops on a zoom call with reporters and the first question he's asked is do you guys have any players opting out and he says no we're you know everybody's in and then during the course of the zoom call apparently he gets a text from Russo saying hey coach I'm gonna I'm gonna opt out for the season and so you know Diaz told the reporters on the call that all of a sudden, their best players opting out. Blake, uh, that's been kind of a theme around college football. It hasn't hasn't quite picked up as much as the NFL yet. And I think the NFL deadline was today. Um, we we don't have any sort of deadline in college football. So, do you think like uh, you know a star player like this opting out, you know, leads others to maybe start to consider it as well?
2: You know, it might. I think it. If anything, it might lead to conversations being had. You know, you talk about Rousseau. You know, Penn State's Micah Parsons is another big-time college football guy. I think when you're starting to get in the in the talks of. You know these big players that kind of send a shockwave through college football. Just because when you think of you know, I guess so to say, household names this year. You know, those are some of the names that come to mind. You know, these you know Parsons, Russo. Those are some of the guys that are considered some of the top players in college football. So I think that that probably opens the conversation for some of those guys. You know, I'm not sure how it's going to work in the in the grand scheme of you know if if some guys are going to cross that line and do that or if they're going to hold back. I think it's a little bit of a different beast with some of these guys. You know, obviously you're playing for you know, a chance to rise up in the NFL draft ranks, you know, you're playing for a lot of things, but I think at the end of the day, all these guys want to go to the NFL. I think putting film out there, it makes a little bit more sense for maybe some guys like that, that are certified, so to say, first round, you know, no brainer type guys that, you know, if they don't play, it's not going to hurt their draft stock. Sure. More tape could, you know, move up or move down, you know, from, you know, being picked, you know, four to pick 12 or something to that. But I think overall, you know, I I think that we're going to see guys, if they're not dealing with some kind of health hazards, you know, just being around family or, you know, if they have small children or something like that, I think that's one thing, but I think a lot of these guys are, are going to kind of wait things out. And I think, I think some of these guys can't afford to basically sit out the season, not everybody, but I think that, you know, there are conversations to be had. I don't know if this is going to send a big shockwave through college football, but I would be, I would not be surprised at all if there are more down the road um, just kind of around the sport that, that do decide to make that move.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, college players, you, you kind of hit on it, you know, they, they haven't quite made it yet. You know, most of these NFL guys, if they've put in a couple of seasons, they've already made, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars at the minimum, maybe several million, you know, you have the flexibility to to play that safety option. Whereas for a lot of these college players, you know, if that is their dream, you don't necessarily have that luxury. I mean, cause you don't know how your coaching staff's going to view that and, Um, you would hope certainly that any coach, you know, treats this the right way and, you know, is, is understanding of players that want to protect their safety. Uh, but the reality is, I mean, you know, this, this is a business it's, you know, it's high level athletics and uh, a lot of coaches won't look very favorably on players sitting out. And, uh, yeah, that's just the reality of the situation. Blake, we actually saw a couple, um, Florida players kind of discussing it on Twitter this weekend. And I think we wrote about it. Um off the top of my head, I know Zachary Carter, you know, when the PAC 12 came out with their, uh, you know, coalition group of players listed demands for the league. Um, he was a guy that was pretty vocal about, you know, supporting their move to do that and and making their voices heard. I think more from that standpoint of, you know, speaking up for what the players feel like they deserve in terms of compensation and all. Um, but in any case, he, he was at least, you know, talking about the, the idea of opting out and then, uh, you know, um, Kadarius Tony came out and said, you know, maybe opting out's the move. And, you know, Jacob Copeland kind of said, yeah, maybe you're right. We gotta, definitely have to think about it. Are there any UF players that you think make the most sense or that you wouldn't be surprised at all to see opt out this year?
2: You know, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm really just kind of speculating here. You know, I, I don't know if those conversations are being had, but I think I go back to the same sense where I looked at it. It's got to be some of those guys, or, or at least people that are getting that first round, you know, kind of uh, no-brainer type tags. And I, I think the one that jumps out the most is, is probably Kyle Pitts, if I had to pick someone from Florida's roster. I think when you look at what he put on tape last year, sure, you know, maybe there's some questions about being kind of a uh, – maybe well-rounded in in the fact of being a tight end as far as like blocking and fixing those things up. And, you know, maybe this year would be a time for him to put some more film of doing that up. But I I think when you have the year that he'd had last year, um, just showing that he can be one of those receiving tight ends, he can be a mismatch. You know, he, he, I mean, he really was like one of the best players overall on Florida's team. I mean, arguably. Um, So I think what he put together last year on film is probably enough to kind of save him to where, you know, sure, playing a season, you know, could make you a higher pick, um, but I think for the most part, I, I think a lot of people kind of agree in the sense that he's probably going to be a first round pick or at least a very high NFL yeah, draft pick. I, I, I would be very shocked if he did. But again, you know, I'm not an NFL draft guy. I'm not in those rooms. You know, I'm not having those conversations. But for me, I, I think he would be the one that makes the most sense because I do think he's a first round talent. And I think he's one that's probably not going to hurt his stock so much by sitting out.
1: Yeah, I think one other trend, um, you know, when we're talking about guys that maybe could sit out that we saw at the NFL level, certainly, you see a lot of more big men. Uh, you know, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, guys that, you know, maybe have uh, underlying conditions, you know, anybody that's had asthma as a kid is is a potential opt-out, uh, you know, obviously with COVID uh, potentially affecting those with with lung issues a little bit more. Um, I, I think those are the guys i keep the most eye on. I agree with you. Like looking at the roster from an NFL standpoint really Pitts is the only one. I don't think even like Trayvon Grimes has necessarily put quite enough on tape to feel comfortable uh, making that decision but again uh, I think a lot of that goes back to to health and family situations you know Trayvon Grimes sure. his mother had some some health issues so you know maybe he's a guy that says hey if I want to see my mom at all this fall you know then and maybe my right move is not playing. I don't know that again, purely right. speculative. Sure, it's,
2: it's spitballing. And I mean, there's players that may have small children too, that, you know, I mean, we don't right, know what's right. going on in their minds. So, I mean, it's, it's speculating, but I, I, I agree with you. And I I think you agree with me in the sense that for, from just a, a kind of an outside looking in and looking at those guys who are probably safe with what they put on film, I, I think Pitts is the one that really does jump out. I, I can't make an argument. I guess I probably could for some other players, but I mean, for the most part, I think Pitts is kind of the no brainer for me.
1: Yeah. Well, Blake, uh, we should find out more on that, I think, in the coming, you know, week or two. Fall camp is obviously set to start on September 17th, which is uh, 10 days later than it was supposed to start. We actually, you know, initially we were supposed to start up this Friday, but because of the SEC's decision to push back, you know, it'll be a little bit longer than that. Uh, but I would think at some point, you know, prior to the start of fall camp, we'll be able to speak with Dan Mullen on a Zoom call, and uh, he'll face that question, or, or at the very least, you know, players – I would think most of them prior to the start of fall camp would would have some kind of firm decision on whether or not they're going to play. Fall camp will be a little bit different this year, Blake. Uh, The SEC kind of made an interesting move. I actually thought they'd kind of go the opposite direction of allowing a little bit more time, a little bit more practice uh, time. My idea was actually to, uh, you know, that the NCAA should basically mandate that players can only, you know, practice a certain number of times. So like if you're a player, you can only participate in 25 practices. But I thought the NCAA should have given programs and coaches the flexibility to hold more than their normal 29 practices per fall camp uh, because I think you're going to have the potential for, you know, virus outbreaks in individual position groups. And I think from a safety standpoint, it makes more sense to give them a bigger window um, and the, the flexibility to maybe hold, you know, basically split practices where the coaches go to two or three practices a day. But you only have each player going to one of the three practices you hold each day, and then that way, if there's outbreaks, you know, once these guys are quarantined, they can come back and they can, you know, make up for the quote-unquote lost practice time. Um, but the SEC didn't go that way; they're they're going down, shrinking down to 25 practices. I believe players can only practice on five days per week now, as opposed to the usual six, um, and there's a little bit less uh, time overall. So. An interesting move there, Um, but for now, Blake, I I think the consensus, at least at Florida, is that, you know, the start's looking pretty good. As of last update with Dan Mullen, uh, Florida had zero cases, uh, you know, basically what was going to be going into camp on Friday. Obviously, again, pushed back a little bit. Um, But I think Florida's done a good job of containing some of the outbreaks. You know, they had a couple different stints in June, uh, at least two that we know of and have confirmed and reported on Swamp247.com. Uh, where they had as many as up to a dozen players quarantined at one time on the football team. Uh, Lately, that's not the case. Florida's really done a good job. It seems like players are, you know, taking the protocol seriously. And so, uh, Blake, we're a little less than two weeks away from the start of fall camp.
2: Keeping my fingers crossed. And I think just to kind of piggyback off of what you said about, you know, just zero cases right now. Sure, there were some bumps in the road, you know, as far as guys, you know, that have some symptoms that popped up. But I, I think it it shows a testament to the fact that these guys have taken this thing seriously. Um, I think whenever you see it, it's easy for college guys, man, to go to the bar or, you know, go to a party or a pool party or the pool at your apartment or something. Um, so I, I it's it's hard, you know, it's different from, a, you know, a professional athlete because you can control things a little bit more. Not to say you can't control, you know, college athletes. Athletes, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're still kids, you know, they're still kind of growing things up, so to say. Um, so I, I think it shows that, you know, this team is, is serious about playing football this year. And I think that, you know, they, they realize that they have a lot of riding, you know, they have a lot of hype this year. Uh, you know, I just I hope that they can kind of keep things normal. Um, because, you know, like everyone says, man, we want college football, You got to stay healthy. And uh, you know that, that's pretty much it, man. I, I just uh, I think it's worth noting. Just, I, I think it was uh, was it Louisville that had a couple of players that popped up. Um, yeah, you know, Louisville from going had to a, parties and
1: yeah, they had an organized party with some athletes, and they've had 29 players test positive since then. So.
2: So, I mean, you know, it's hard to compare every program to each yeah. one, but, I mean, it, it, there are things out there you have to look out for when you have college athletes, and I, I think it's uh, it's showing that Florida's serious. You know, the players are ready to go, and, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that, you know, again, you know, I keep saying it over and over again, man, but fingers crossed I hope we have a football season.
1: Yeah, well, we got 10 days, 10 days till the start of fall camp. Uh, so, definitely, I think we're both on the same page and hoping that takes off. And, you know, we have some actual football to report on, some sources to tap into on how, you know, how guys are doing. Uh, But Blake, let's take a quick break. I know we got some recruiting. Florida's had some big decisions, uh, big announcements and last actually even today, Um, but they've got a couple more to look forward to. So we'll take a quick break. And on the other side, guys, we'll be back with some Florida Gators recruiting.
0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome back to the swamp 24 seven podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman Blake, I know August is uh, certainly going to be a busy month for Florida recruiting. Uh, One of the dominoes fell today. Five-star defensive lineman, Leonard Taylor made his pick between Florida and Miami. Unfortunately for Florida fans, uh, Gators kind of seem to lose steam in this recruitment a little bit late. Can you fill us in on what happened, kind of what went wrong here, and and maybe where Gators go from here?
2: You know, I think to start with this story, you have to kind of back up to the start. Um, You know, this is back whenever, you know, Leonard Taylor was, you know, before he had the stars, before he had a lot of these offers. For the most part, early on, he was a guy that was, you know, interested in being close to home, you know, having a spot where his family could come see him easily. And that was a spot, you know, was Miami. You know, he had visited a couple times there. Uh, you know, I, I guess really early on this recruitment, the talk was kind of that Miami is going to be hard to beat in this recruitment. You know, you kind of fast forward more into things. He shows up to Florida, uh, I believe it was for a, a, some kind of camp in the summer or a seven on seven camp. I, I think he was there with his team doing seven on seven playing tight end and he did some drills doing the D line camp too. So you know, that was when Florida offered things kind of, or maybe had just offered things kind of started to pick up there. You know, he gets in touch more with David Turner, um, you know, even going into that season, Florida went on to 111 games, you know, had a really strong defense, uh, really showed, you know, success at getting to the passer for the most part, it was an attractive defense, you know, with just the pressure they were creating that was kind of building some momentum with Florida. Um, You know, even on the same end of the spectrum, Miami had struggled last year, you know, in their first year. Um, And it seemed like they were kind of starting to trend down. And I I would say things probably came to a head with Miami with the fact when they lost to FIU, you know, he had some comments that were kind of bullish on the hurricanes and it, it kind of seemed like he was trending just more and more as the season went on to Florida. You know, even starting, the you know, this year into the off season, he had a visit to Florida back in March for a junior day, you know, brings his family there. I believe that was his mother's first time on campus. Either way, she's only had been there a couple times, maybe one time before that. But I, I believe that was the first time she had actually made it there to campus. I mean, you know, and then the dead period hit in and, and Florida, uh, I'm trying to think he had a top five, I think he did at the time And Miami was not in it. And I think this is maybe, you know, March or April or, or excuse me, uh, April or May, um, you know, they weren't in there. But Miami kept chipping away at him during the dead period, you know, kind of uh, you know, started to get a, a little bit more of some local commits to kind of help chime in with, you know, the Miami staff in general. And just, you know, being shut down, man, I, I think you can't ignore right now that Miami is having some success with guys that are local guys, whether they're in Dade County, Broward County, just in South Florida in general, they're starting to pick up some steam. You know, guys are kind of talking about the hurricanes with just how they've done um, here recently on the recruiting trail. Miami Gillings, a guy like, uh, you know, James Williams, who is a big time five star guy. Um, And I think that kind of started to get things even, you know, rolling even more so. Um, and it just seems like Miami, just during this dead period with the shutdown, and you know, kind of, uh, you know, just the success they had. I, I think it started to become a little bit more on his mind of, you know, kind of dialing back to, you know, being close to home, having his mother be able to see him. You know, Miami, at least in Leonard, you know, from just kind of reading his comments that he said, he does seem to think that Miami is going to have a chance for him to play, you know, almost immediately as a freshman. So I think that those things had, you know, I think it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think it's the fact that they've had some success with guys in South Florida that have been in his ear, um, you know, just kind of the shutdown, you know, has seemed to catch around South Florida of guys wanting to stay closer to home. And the fact that he feels like he can play early there, you know, even on top of just the connections he's made with their coaching staff. So I think the storm had been kind of brewing for Miami and kind of building up more and more there. And, I, you know, it just kind of took a turn during this dead period. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't work out for Florida in the end. He picked Miami today.
1: Like uh, Palmetto, you know, where Leonard Taylor's from is, is one of those high schools that was identified pretty early on in this recruiting class as kind of a pivotal recruiting battleground uh for florida so to speak
2: five five big time recruits there so yeah and obviously
1: you know Burchard smith i believe you know committed to florida and then is now committed to miami uh where does florida stand with the rest of those guys is there reason for some optimism on any of them at this point
2: you know right now i i you know most of the year you heard a lot of florida talk for five-star cornerback jason marshall who is still uncommitted but, you know, the more and more I heard whispers of Miami, you know, you hear things, you know, there are posts on Twitter, but, you know, when I'm kind of looking for something a little bit more concrete to actually report on, you know, sure I listen to some of the things that are out there, but, you know, whenever you're putting reports out, you kind of want to hear something a little bit more concrete. And, you know, Bama was the school that I was hearing was the biggest threat for Florida, you know, kind of early on, you know, talking, you know, maybe, you know, April, May, just kind of earlier this spring. And, you know, they were kind of, you know, continued to chip away at him, Alabama did. And they were the team that I was hearing to watch the most. Um, early on this year, Jason Marshall, uh, he released a top three of uh, Alabama, Florida and Clemson, um, but it was always seen as a, as a Alabama, Florida battle. Clemson really wasn't a team that he was, you know, kind of talking much about, you know, I'm not sure how much they were talking with him just again with all the shutdown. Um, he expanded that, that leaderboard adding five, it made it a top five. He added Miami, Oregon, and LSU to the fold. Miami was really the only team that we, you know, even worth watching whenever you add those teams. Um, but it seems like Miami, man, they kind of in the same sense to where, you know, just the juice they'd got down there in South Florida, kind of building things up. Um, you know, they're really pitching a chance for him to play early, you know, um, and it just seems like little by little, you know, even kind of under the radar. And, you know, I've said over and over again, I think that I've slept a little too hard on Miami in that recruitment with Jason Marshall. And it seems like right now that, you know, Florida has, has slipped there. Um, I think Alabama is still a team in play. Not to say that Florida's not in play, but I, I think they've slipped back. Um, I think Miami it's probably the team to watch right now. There's a lot of buzz that if, you know, if he decided right now, which there's still some talk, he could decide. Um, he floated out a date of August 1st, which is coming on and he's still uncommitted. But I think the overall feeling is that a decision could still come sooner. Um, if it does come soon, it does seem like Miami kind of has the upper leg there. Um, but in the same sense, I'm still hearing that he's still talking with Florida. He's still talking with Alabama. He's still talking Miami. These coaching staffs are still, you know, trying to get, you know, keep lines of communication open and he's still having dialogue with them. But I think for right now, I think it's safe to say that Miami probably has the edge there um alabama is still working him florida still working him i know 24 7 sports uh recruiting director steve wolfong actually reported that he is hearing miami and alabama are the main two schools there i haven't heard that i can't confirm or deny that um i think that those three schools are probably the most ones to watch right now but again i think if there's one team to pick out of there right now i do think it's miami that has the edge right there and i think if he did commit sooner than later i think they're going to be the pick um, and another guy too at Palmetto, uh, four-star safety, Corey Collier. Uh, he is set to make his uh, college commitment on August 10th, uh, which will be next Monday. Uh, final three for him, Florida, LSU, and Miami. My 24-7 sports crystal ball is on Florida right now uh, with just a six confidence meter, which isn't really high and not really low. I feel okay with my pick right now. It does seem like LSU, um, who had been okay with kind of just the names they've had on their board with DBs, you know, target-wise. It seems like they're going to kind of pick things up a little bit more, and it seems like they're going to press a little bit harder. I'm definitely keeping an eye on if there's any movement there. Um, And I'd be lying, too, if, you know, just the success Miami's had at South Florida, and not only there, but just at Palmetto right now. Um, I I I would be lying if I wasn't watching them too but i think the 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 feeling i have right now is i feel okay on my florida pick there um but i'm definitely watching to see if there's any movement just because just the way some of these recruitments have gone um you know there may be some signs there but you know some of these things do change rather quickly and i'm kind of seeing if there's any late movement there with lsu kind of picking things up again i'm watching miami but for right now i feel good on my prediction with florida
1: uh, florida can certainly sell playing time at safety having the four senior safeties that are going to be gone after this year no doubt like uh, is there are there any other upcoming decisions or or other things that Florida fans should be watching when it comes to recruiting?
2: Uh you know right now I I mentioned on our last podcast a couple guys who are possibly looking at making some decisions sooner. You know the guys I just covered now uh four star linebacker Jeremiah Williams out of Alabama was a guy who was talking about making a decision sooner. Um he's kind of backed off that he's going to wait a little longer. Um you know Florida's got some guys Uh, that are looking to make a decision sometime in the month of August. And, you know, they're they're a a school that's on their final list, you know, a guy like Juco cornerback Kyrie Jackson. Um, But I don't think Florida will be the pick there. Uh, You know, another guy like Nathaniel Wiggins, who I don't think Florida will be the pick there either. Um, just the fact that they haven 't gotten uh, they 've gotten Wiggins on campus before, but it 's been a little while they 've never gotten Jackson on campus before um, and then another defensive end who is out of virginia uh, and kelvin uh, gillum he 's another guy who hasn 't visited Florida before, but i mean he 's working with like i think six or seven some odd schools something like that so I, I just have a hard time seeing Florida be the pick for those guys right now for the most part too you know you kind of put in the fact that you know florida 's got twenty four commitments right now um, you know they 're kind of crunching on numbers right now, so I, a lot of these guys too. They have plenty of other targets that are looking, at, again, and they don't change their timeline just because, you know, a lot of these guys have just kind of changed things on a dime sometimes. You know, they talk, you know, they want to make a later decision. They change things around. But for the most part, Florida's, a lot of their, their cluster of guys that are left on the border, are at least waiting right now to kind of hold out from some official visits and, and maybe make a decision a little bit later.
1: Well, and I don't think that's a bad thing for Florida. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast. This this staff seems to do better when they can get, you know, in-face uh, sorry, FaceTime with recruits get in-person visits that kind of thing and uh, you know this has been such a bizarre recruiting cycle that you know I think everybody's struggling to adjust to it um, and you know you would think that if, if we do play a season that can only be to Florida's benefit you know they, they've got a, a good senior quarterback returning you know continuity on both sides of the ball a lot of talent um, you know the depth has been shored up and Uh, to be able to showcase potentially up to 10 SEC games could be a real good thing for Dan Mullen and his staff. And um, who knows, uh, who knows whether recruits will be able to visit or or not during any of that. Um, But I do think that, you know, it is still kind of early in this process. Florida has a decent foundation for the class. You'd probably like to upgrade it a little bit. And certainly, you know, we've gone on and on about Florida needing to do a little bit more in these, these recruitments with guys like Leonard Taylor, you know, some of these five-star prospects from the state, just land one or two or three more of those guys, Uh, per cycle and they'll be in good shape but Blake thanks for the update on recruiting guys that's going to do it for us today Uh, we will be back whenever the SEC drops their schedule we'll probably do an emergency podcast Um, we were kind of like I said we were kind of waiting to shoot this one I was was hoping that you know either Wednesday or Thursday afternoon the SEC would announce the the two extra opponents but we will have an emergency podcast whenever that happens and and we'll be there to break it down Uh, until then guys we thank you for tuning in